1: Only from Rustolium. I have $100 for you, okay? Just like I promised, okay? You remember me, right? From the parking lot? We were, we were filming with the white van, the guys in the white van. I was with them. You had those tiny cans, right? You had hey. those tiny cans. Hey, hi, hi. Hi, girls. You it's doing? okay, it's okay. You know this guy? No, he booktops. They, do know, they do know me. They do know me. No, they do. They, we, we don't know each other well, but they know me. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Come on, come it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, wait, why are you no, here No, no, no. You don't, don't understand. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen, and I make sure to repeat any moments of spontaneity so that they're captured correctly for the cameras. Joining me today is Patrick Klepek.
0: And I, too, like to hang out in cars, just counting my cash.
1: <laughs> today on decoding tv we're going to be discussing the curse episode three quest elaine uh you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com email us at decodingtv@gmail.com. at gmail.com let us know what you think of the podcast or the show the curse which is streaming right now on paramount plus and showtime we're also available on all platforms youtube and tiktok and instagram at decoding tv as usual, we're going to start with our overall thoughts on this episode and then move into a detailed recap and review. I do want to give a shout-out to a couple of other things going on on Decoding TV. Uh, we are planning to cover... Uh, well, we we did some coverage of The Murder at the End of the World, the first two episodes, uh, and we'll be covering the finale of that show when it airs on uh, This Week in Streaming. Also planning to cover Invincible Season 2, and probably, if we can make it work, an episode of The Crown with my wife, because uh, we covered The Crown uh, last year when it aired, uh, the last season. So we'll we'll try to get an episode of that out on the feed as well. So lots to look forward to here on Decoding TV. But let's get into the episode. Patrick Lepic, The Curse, Episode 3, Quest Elaine. What were your overall thoughts on this episode?
0: It's interesting because the show very naturally for being, I think it's nine or 10 episodes uh, for, for the season uh, at some point has to shift into a different gear. Right. So I think the first two episodes of this show for, it's not like a high, like a high speed show, but like, I think for the mode, the pacing of the show, it's, it's doing a lot of setting things up, putting things in motion, getting you a sense of these characters. And then the question for me is, you know, we've spent a lot of time, especially talking about different, like, franchise shows, stuff coming from Lucasfilm and Marvel. It's like, what does the medium of TV offer you? Like, it's time. And then the question is, what do you do with that time? And so my question with The Curse has been, wh- what what's going to happen in this middle stretch, like, where you can really luxuriate with these characters, where you can really spend time with them, where you're not, you're in this moment where we're entering sort of, like, the middle, the middle-ish of the season where we're done with the setup and we haven't begun the escalation for the conclusion. So what are we doing with those characters in between? And so, you know, I've, I quite enjoyed this episode, even though I think by curse standards, it's maybe a little mellower than, like, Is like, cringy, but Less cringy on like the cringe scale than than maybe uh, you and I have become accustomed to over over the first two, um, and so it's just I think it's like a so, it's a very solid episode of the curse. I like in the the three episode rankings, like I don't think it quite like hits the highs of the previous two, but uh, it's getting into the ebb and flow of a normal show, and I'm very I'm so curious to see. Where that uh, ends up, and I, I also really like the fact that this ends up being an episode very Asher centric. You know, one of the things that I think we ended our discussion on the previous episode was, oh, like it really seems like the main character of the show might end up being Whitney, and I, I think that could still remain the case. Uh, but it is not as though the show is is leaving Asher behind. It is not as though Asher is a one dimensional character, kind of a punching bag uh so, sort of a presence in the curse there's a lot more going on with this character we're given much more opportunities to see uh this character react uh <laughs> react uh, to various uh situations and I, I increasingly it feels like the conclusion of this episode is a lot of boy you're setting like a lot of landmines are being set i don't know who's going to step on them i don't know what limbs are going to blow off as a result but like these mines are going to be stepped on at one point. And I feel like that's my sense is that's a lot of where this show is going is just like, Ooh, ah. And then eventually some measure of fireworks. And I'm, I'm excited to see the show continue uh, down that path. Uh,
1: all great points. I think this episode continues to showcase the, Amazing work of Emma Stone in particular. Like we, we talked about it last episode, but like what is what I think is really amazing about the curse is um I I'll put this out there. Uh did you ever watch Boogie Nights, Paul Thomas Anderson? You know? It's been yeah, it's been a minute, but yeah. There is a moment in Boogie Nights when Mark Wahlberg's character uh is trying to become a musician. And so he uh, he sings that song like he will rock you, you know, like and he will burn you or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like I remember listening to Paul Thomas Anderson's commentary and he's saying this is really good acting of bad singing (laughs) (laughs) because you believe that it is him doing that bad singing. And the level of difficulty of what they're attempting on the show, I think is very high where, and and, like really the end ending of this episode, I think is like a tour de force of acting because you need to have people have what appears to be a spontaneous moment, not to get ahead of ourselves, but Mm -hmm. have what appears to have a spontaneous moment and then try to recreate that spontaneous moment. But it comes off as not spontaneous anymore. Um, and, and the human eye and mind is very attuned to the authenticity of a moment like that. And yet this show is able to pull it off convincingly. And I just think like this show has people behaving awkwardly and it's difficult to have a show where you're trying to achieve. This is a human behaving awkwardly as opposed to an actor portraying a human beha- behaving awkwardly right? Like one, you can, in one scenario, you can sense the artifice. And in this show, I feel like they try to make that artifice go away. And you're just watching people like fully fleshed out people react as they normally would. Uh, And I think that's uh, really impressive.
0: With a performance on top of a performance, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's a world where uh, the first layer of acting, which is, you know, people performing a script can work or not work for an audience. And then you have them performing the idea of performing but also it's like it's just right, like it's a right. it's a high like, degree of difficulty yes. to pull off something that is on its face purposely fake but you need that fakeness to feel authentic and that is just like an incredible thing to pull off
1: Yeah, I agree completely um but I would also say that uh, this episode certainly has its layers of cringe and so on. But I would say that it is more what I would call sad cringe. Um, mm. the, the episode made me really sad, as opposed to you know the previous episodes that were like still very funny and outrageous, uh, but but also cringe. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Patrick klepik but there is a subreddit uh, on Reddit called Cringe, mm-hmm. and then there's a separate one. Called sad cringe. Are you familiar with this?
0: I, I'm not, but I I believe you. I believe you. So there's
1: cringe, which is like what they do is they produce they like repost people's social posts online, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, this person's really cringy. And then sad cringe is the same thing, except it makes you cringe and you're sad. You know, is it is it uh, is it necessarily producing a layer
0: of empathy, or or is it just sad cringe? Like, do you feel for the person? It, like I feel like the difference between cringe, like cringe, you rarely feel necessarily like ooh, like I can understand, you know, like I feel for this person in this moment. More it's just ah, this person in this moment.
1: So does sad cringe okay. cross over into empathy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think so because like when you when you see cr- like sad cringe, you're watching a human suffer, right? right? Like you're you're watching somebody suffer in some way in a in a really terrible way. Uh, and so like most humans will feel some core deep level of empathy as a result of the sad cringe, you know? Uh, Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, like, uh, on, um, on cringe, I'll just give you a difference in, in cringe, right? So like there was a viral video of this woman, uh, this week doing a sort of fashion show type runway walk. Uh, And then it's revealed when the camera pans over that she's at a guy's funeral, you know? (laughs) uh oh and, and, and to, be, to be fair i believe the guy designed her dress so it wasn't like completely right. Outrageous. okay it was, uh-huh. but it was like it was like shocking to see like this woman do these poses and then get some photos taken and then walk over to the open casket like that was very when she uh, shared it
0: right on right it's yeah, one but, thing to be shared in a like with a group of well, friends i don't know friends. i don't know if she I'm, shared
1: i don't know if she shared it but yeah it w- it was posted online but oh, the, point, okay. being, oh, the no. point being you watch it and you're like oh wow that makes me uncomfortable uh-huh, so that's uh-huh. that's like kind of a pretty classic cringe that's like yeah. a very uh but you don't feel bad for that person you know no. like you're no. that's just like that's just like a classic stereotypical platonic ideal of cringe okay here is a post on sad cringe uh and the the subject line of this post is incel complains about bumble's feature where women initiate the chat so it, it appears to be a repost of a reddit thread and uh, this guy made a Reddit comment. It looks like a Reddit comment, I think, is what it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the the comment reads as follows. Okay, Bumble, isn't that the one where the women have to contact the men? Every time I hear that premise, it makes me laugh. Make an app for something the majority of women refuse to do. Make the first move. I don't understand how it stays in business. Lots of desperate guys, I guess, willing to pay the fees. quote. <laughs> um <laughs> that, that is sad cringe because you're okay. like that. That's sad. Right? That's the good like, stuff. That's, a, that's a, yeah. I mean, that is the good stuff. Inject that into my veins. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, so. Anyway, this episode was sad cringe, right? Mm, like a lot of the right. other episodes have been cringe. This one was sad cringe. Where you cringe in a sad way. Uh, and so I appreciate that. It's giving us many different flavors of cringe and uh <laughs> this one's just a lot sadder this one's just a lot sadder but yeah you you, you know that's a that's like um the guy's kind of sounds like a jerk who's making that comment on the sad cringe subreddit but also you feel a little bit bad for him that he's mm-hmm. so oblivious and out of touch you know um like you you, you get a you get a full glimpse of that, what that guy's life has been like through that one you can sad start making verse. some assumptions and some <laughs>
0: Some guesses about other opinions this person might have. Other opinions, other experiences
1: Mm. they may Mm -hmm. or may not have had. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, episode three of The Curse. Sad cringe. Good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff. Uh, The episode opens on Asher counting piles of cash, then entering an auction to buy plots of land featuring broken down houses ready for a teardown. Asher ends up bidding on and winning a house for $62,500, only for Whitney to ask why he went above their budget of $40,000. Let's pause here for a moment. I think, you know, obviously what happens with the house is going to be like a a long-running... theme my my sense is i I don't fully comprehend the details of their scheme yet well we didn't get into
0: this in the in i believe the first episode uh before the uh cherry tomato boys uh begin having their their conversation before Uh, that
1: derailed our whole train of
0: thought (laughs) uh but uh, one of the conversations that uh whitney's father has with asher is hey I don't really kind of believe in uh, the way the two are are choosing to spend your money. And Ash reveals the broad idea that they have is to buy uh, plots of land uh, with homes that are like stressed tear downs uh, and that they'll build these new properties on them. These like these climate homes. And then with the show is going to, raise these neighborhoods up. And so they don't really care about the houses. They care about the plots of land. And so like Mm. they're going to inspire new development in these neighborhoods. And thus through their personal appearances in this show, hyping up this neighborhood, these styles of houses like finances raise all boats, including the plots of land. And so they're buying up distressed plots of land, distressed houses in the idea that their show, their success, their fame will lead to... Uh, a bunch of uh, money down the road. <laughs> Almost assuredly, none of that will happen. <laughs> and and I think we're getting like you know the the you know pr- presumably they're getting a bunch of this money from Whitney's family, so she's explicitly profiting like using the profits of these slum lords in order to like finance her like good slum lording like uh, ethical slum lording uh, uh, that that they're they're playing out and and the idea that they had a budget and he went well above that because in that scene you get a real sense that he is, like got a sense of power like he feels mm-hmm. cool like he knows these people and he knows he's got enough money that if he wants it he can get it uh, even if he probably probably shouldn't have
1: right I also get the sense that he's not really spending quote unquote his money a, a no, little bit, right? no yeah. I think this is with but, his family's money yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but also yeah uh, it, it basically feels like a, a little bit sketchy what they're doing right? uh-huh. a, little, a little bit. I don't think it's like technically illegal, anything they're doing, but like uh, buying distressed properties and then using your reality show to pump the values up uh, in order to then sell them at a profit. It feels like feels
0: like a pump and dump, which we've heard, feels like you know, dump, when right, talked yeah. about things like crypto and, and, and
1: uh,
0: meme stocks, but it, it feels uh, disingenuous at best. And there are other ways to describe it at worst, um, which, which I think the show is increasingly, heading towards the the at worst uh, description well
1: we, the thing is we all know that this plan is the 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 one minor <laughs> bummer is we all know it's doomed like there's yeah. no i don't think there's any doubt in our mind that it's gonna fail right so mm-hmm. uh but you know in a different show you might be like oh maybe they're gonna get the H-T-T-V tv show it's like no there's no way that's it's never gonna happen <laughs> yeah. um so i don't know who knows who knows maybe prove me wrong show prove me wrong um But it does feel like he is way in over his head. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess the quote-unquote pleasure of the show is watching him being hoisted by his own petard. Anyway, uh, we are then interrupted by the start of a video. Dougie's brought a recording of a focus group responding to an early edit of Asher and Whitney's show. The response isn't good and especially focuses on how deeply unfunny and uncharismatic Asher is. Dougie believes it might be an indication that HDTV might not want to pick up the show, which leads to a lot of anxiety over the three of between the three of them over what they could do to improve the show. Although one positive takeaway from the focus group is an argument between two people about climate change, which Whitney and Asher take to mean the show contains a good message. This is a great scene and mm-hmm. uh, classic Nathan Fielder. The thing that really haunts me about this scene is When they say, you know, the focus group people say, oh, yeah, the guy is not funny at all. I mean, he's not hot. He's not funny. At least be hot or funny. That's all I ask for my... (laughs) That's all I ask for my people I watch on TV is be hot or funny. And... Nathan Fielder's character, Asher, says, that's so ridiculous. I'm hilarious. And then, like, Emma Stone turns around and, like, it's like, yeah, and she, like, kind of <laughs> smiles and laughs and then literally turns around and, like, is completely stone-faced right afterwards. It was just, it was an amazing performance of, like, kind of the side she shows Asher and then what she really is feeling and thinking at the time. Any other reflections on the focus group, uh, focus group scene, Patrick Lepper? Uh
0: Two things. One... The, the short one is you mentioned earlier about Emma Stone that like the, the show in particular being a real showcase for Emma Stone's like acting uh, yeah. capabilities. And there is an all time line read in this scene, which is when <laughs> Dougie goes and fetches some blueberries yes. from the fridge, sits down. Clearly, she doesn't want him to sit down, worried that you're going to get these on a white couch, yeah. like fumbles a blueberry. Clearly it gets into the couch is and the way she says like oh it's okay like i'm i can't i i I shouldn't even tried to like (laughs) like if there's a way that you can find this scene isolate it like her her reading of the like it's okay is just masterful it's operating on like 900 different levels and it's just a one there's so many ways you could have done that line and in many worlds you don't do the version that Emma does, but the way she delivers it is just like a masterclass. Like it is just Mm. unbelievably good. And I, I I delighted in it. The other thing is I, I found myself haunted by this scene and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this, this feeling to a degree in which, uh, you know, like I, I came on my line of work as a, as a writer. Mm -hmm. And then my career has shifted into much more audio video, personality focused um, because that's where the audience has gone. That's just how people like to, uh, writing is still like vital and important, but it is, it is definitely lower on the ranks in terms of like where the broad audience has gone. So I've had to adapt what I do and what my strengths are to like fit the audience to keep doing this work. What you invite when you shift to that is the the fact that people are going to judge you on metrics that are beyond just what you say, it's how you say it. Um, it can be a, something as simple as you say like too often, something you would never notice in just casual conversation. It can be, you know, when I was in my early days at Giant Bomb, like had some issues with like pimples and the sort and like people would actively just like talk and make fun of that stuff. Now they're talking to themselves. Like, it's not like it's in front of me. No one's throwing it at me, but like when you're seeking out commentary on your work as like a form of validation or like feedback on how you're doing, what you end up realizing is people are going to talk about you in like the very ways that happened to Asher here. Um, And so despite the fact that Asher is not a particularly likable character, I did find like, The sad cringe here to be one in which there's where I found my empathy, David, was like, I have been in those situations in like the early awkward days where I was figuring out how to present myself on camera and like how I felt comfortable and how to find my own strengths in those mediums. And the process of doing that is a lot of people going like, you're not very good at this. I couldn't be funny or hot. I couldn't pick a lane. I just sucked at it, David. And then, like, hopefully I have arrived at a place where I suck a little bit less. But I I definitely found myself in watching that focus group video being like, yeah, sure. I've been there, bro. Like, yeah, I, f- I felt that. So it was, it was an interesting spot to be, even if... uh I, I don't know that necessarily. That's what the show was was going for in terms of its relatability.
1: All right. First of all, hold on. Note to self: stop forwarding Patrick all the emails about his acne. Um, let me got check that off the list. And uh, <laughs> uh, let me actually suggest something. If mm. you uh, if you ever feel, and I'm just speaking to our audience here, Patrick, if you ever feel like your self esteem is a little bit too high, a little bit too strong. If you if you feel like you have a little bit too much confidence in the old in the old confidence tank there, uh go viral on TikTok. Oh. Try uh try going viral on TikTok because people will point out physical attributes you didn't even know you had. Like we where most of us are aware of our
0: like weaknesses or what people would perceive as flaws, like things yeah. that 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 we know and like like i have a weight on us like the, the struggles i've had with acne over the years like i like when i look in the mirror motherfucker like i know like i see it like it sucks i've tried all the creams thanks um but the idea that people would find new ones to make fun of you and destroy you for that is a david that is oh yeah is it's, it's, it's in a, and of itself i have not it, gone through that that is that sounds awful.
1: you go you go viral on tiktok and people will say things like hey uh Wow, wow, It's so weird to see a video where one guy's right eye is like like so much higher than his left eye and I'm like, what is that is that a thing that i like that I have like i now I need to look in a mirror and check on that, you know like uh <laughs> you know they will reveal to you facts about yourself that you never otherwise need so oh. uh, and oh, I, no. I think that's what's going on with Asher here in this, yeah, so yeah, anyway. Um, well, I'm really glad you powered through that, Patrick, and are, are here to be able to share your your, your <laughs> insights with us today. So, uh, by the way, since we are really digressing, uh, mm. I, I noticed the first. I, I have to say, it's a little bit odd. Uh, like, I don't think we really see explicitly what happens with the blueberry spilling. Like, we, no, I rewound we, it. We, yeah, a couple too. of times. To me, be like, too. I, I think we we hear it? it? okay we hear it i think and we see like some movement and we see the reaction to it i think the show has chosen purposefully to not have a lot of coverage uh on the uh per scene Is, is my guess you know and what i mean by that what i mean by coverage is in a typical scene you might have two to three cameras shooting the action and then you can cut between them to like put together the scene um It really doesn't feel like they use that much coverage Mm. of any given scene feels like they have like a kind of medium to wide shot and let things play out. And it's like, hey, and if it doesn't capture the the right moment, then or the right thing, you know, because there's very few like cutaways to close ups. Right. Like it does happen sometimes. Like I'm not saying it's never happened, but but um, most of the show is just long, continuous shots. And so that was a moment where I kind of. It, it, this is a moment where we would cut to, like in a normal show, this is a moment where we would cut to close up of him spilling blueberries on the couch. But like we didn't get that. See, um, now, so-
0: like to, behind the scenes, you know, uh, you know, you and I are watching this uh, through screeners provided by Showtime. Um, and the great, very, like love the fact that we're able to like yes. prep and watch all this early. We appreciate that. But they are in 1080p. <laughs> and so I'm wondering. In the 4K version mm-hmm. on Paramount Plus, like, can you see the blueberry? I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. go back and look. I'm go like I'm going to reinvestigate mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. If you're like, can I pause in the yeah. highest of definitions? Can I see the blueberry move? I'm just, I'm just, I just. He, have to he know.
1: also, he also used a jar to put the blueberries in, and I, uh, I, I realized I'd never seen that. Usually um, you, you need to do that for like a yogurt parfait sort yeah, of situation, yeah. right? I, Put in
0: some more uh, some more options, but um, I use a
1: bowl for my blueberry consumption. Yeah. I don't know about you, because um, a jar it's just awkward to yeah. You're kind of gotta get in. your finger. You might yeah, squish you the gotta, blueberry on the way down. Exactly. Terrible. Terrible. So <laughs> that, that's the biggest sign that Dougie's a monster uh, is he uses a jar to eat his blueberries. Okay, we've spent way too long talking about this scene. Let's move on. We cut to. a... <laughs> We cut to a classroom featuring the girl Asher interacted with in the parking lot. Uh, Two girls seem to be making fun of her. After class, she walks home with her sister and they chat about Roblox. At home, the two hear a knock at the door and panic as someone begins drilling a hole in the door's lock. And when the door opens, it's Asher. The house he bought, it turns out, is this one. The two girls sprint away, followed by Asher waving a $100 bill. He's eventually stopped by an extremely large man concerned for the two girls' safety. Later, Asher talks to the police and explains he owns the house. And it's revealed the family living here have been squatting. Uh, Let's just pause here for a moment. I mean, this is kind of classic Nathan Fielder antics. I would say is putting his his character in a situation where he needs to awkwardly explain something to someone he really shouldn't have to explain. (laughs) Um, But I did think that was a nice moment of him. Like you know, there's many horror movie elements in the show, and there's like a lot of cool moments where. Like, the the girl hears the drilling at the door, and she, she seems like she knows what to do in that situation. She, like, goes, I think she grabs, like, a binder and then, like, runs out. And so I think uh, they're not unprepared for this set of circumstances. But it was a little bit of a surprise when Nathan Fielder shows up. I didn't think it would be that house. No, um, me, no
0: me either. And I, I thought they did a good job, like, looking back on the show, like, you and I talking about it now. Fairly obvious, like, set up and payoff like it actually makes a lot of logical sense that that this is where the the show was going but i I think it's especially a a uh a compliment to the filmmaking where the moment that drill starts coming through it gets really tense really fast and it wouldn't be all that tense if i had made the assumption in the moment like well asher's on the other side like he's not gonna like he's gonna be weird but like he's not a as far as i know right. in the show not a danger to yeah. these girls and the way it's again these like tight shots these long shots like as that drill is coming through it's the panic in the girls that ends up disarming you as the viewer into not making the logical conclusion that asher is a reasonable person to be on the other side of that because the way they rush like oh they've done this before um like they've been through something whether at this house or a different house like who who can say and that was a yeah a real uh tip of the hat to the to the show where like it disarmed my brain long enough to be like, oh yeah, I quit. yeah okay, that makes sense. Um, that I was able to be, uh, sit with the emotions of those characters in the moment uh, as it was setting up the, the the payoff.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I'll just give you some life advice: never run after children waving a hundred dollar bill. Like it's just it's never going to end well. Like there's no. There's no way that that ends well. So just like keep that advice in mind. Okay, learn from Ash's mistakes. Slow down,
0: girls. Slow down. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> While chatting with a police officer, the family returns. So- and I'll just say before actually we continue, like the interaction he had with that guy felt very realistic to me. Like that felt like yeah. what a guy would do, like what a big dude would do if he found that. <laughs> it's like, I don't so. care what you're sa- like. Yeah, there's no like, explanation that. Yeah, works there's nothing here, you can say buddy. that would be okay. Anyway, while chatting with a police officer, the family returns home. The father reveals he was at one point writing rent checks, only to realize they weren't being cashed, so he stopped writing them. Asher says the previous owner was in tax tax trouble, revealing why things likely got strange. The officer uh, offers to help Asher evict the tenants immediately, but Asher offers to let them stay. Asher then passes on this revelation to Whitney, and the two decide to let them stay and improve the home. Whitney seems surprised by Asher's decision and wishes the focus group saw this side of him. Asher also has to keep inventing new lies to explain his interactions with the family. I love that part because you realize, oh, right, he had lied about it. He had lied about meeting them before. So, like, it's really blowing up in his face now when he's like, yeah, you know, they didn't even remember me when I saw them. It was really weird. <laughs> it was They're kind of weird, me. you know. <laughs> all over the place. I think all he's all in the, the
0: clear. Like, I think by the end of this episode, yeah, he's yeah. in the, like, there's a very specific moment where I, and we'll get, you know, we'll get there, where I expected, like, ah, this is where it's all going to blow up in his face. And the show just kind of neatly resolves it and pivots to, to something else. And because um, the escalation of those lies maybe could have gotten a little like uh, comical to to a certain degree. And, but I, I enjoyed this other like not twist where he has to be like, yeah, I guess I just don't remember getting $100. You know, ah, you know, their lives are complicated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, a few other things happen, and then we can talk about kind of the big climactic sequence. But um, the two meet up with Dr. Brown. There's a really awkward interaction where, like, he gives her the injection, and then they talk about when they can have sex again. Uh, Dougie says, he, you know, asks if Asher wants to hang out, but Asher declines, and we see Dougie in a hotel room with plates and empty drinks, and he starts to cry. And then... Well, can, uh, we, wait, can we pause yeah, the Dougie, yeah, thing please, for a second? Please. Because...
0: So we didn't talk about this, but in the previous episode, Asher finds Dougie in the casino. Um, And multiple times, Asher has mentioned, like, well, you're still here. Um, And there's also a moment where Dougie mentions that the HGTV didn't send the focus group tape. Mm. He requested it. And so there seems to be an undercurrent pointed out by Asher that like, Dougie doesn't need to be here anymore. Like, the stage that they're at in the show is... Waiting for a green light from the network to mm. make more of the show, and that Dougie at this point could have left, go back to L.A., work on the edit, and wait for the the sign from the network. And so, the fact that he's here in in the casino, he asks Asher, "Do you want to hang out? Like, you want to get a drink?" Uh, and here he asks Asher, "Do you want to hang out? Like, I'm nearby." Uh, he specifically says, "I'm walking." near your house, like, I'm just out on a walk, do you want to hang out? And it's revealed that he's in a hotel room with food and, like, empty, like, beer bottles and, like, starts to cry. Just, I like, guess, it's, it's it's an odd, maybe that's gonna be revealed to, like, as you've noted, Dougie's past history with Asher, of which we know very little, um, yeah. but just sort of odd, where he's, like, desperate to have a friend and keeps yes. getting rebuffed by Asher at, like, every opportunity to, like, create a connection outside of the context of the show
1: dougie seems like a very sad individual and i think that's one of the things that the show plays with is you you have you know after the first episode we think oh wow dougie that's a complete asshole like terrible person you know not nice not doesn't have good taste um but then when you find out like he's really sad and has sad things in his history it's like oh you feel bad for him you know people aren't just one thing people Mm -hmm. aren't just one thing anyway Whitney and Asher pull up to the coffee store that was one of their local partners and discover that it's closed. It turns out the agreement they had for the coffee shop and a jean store next door didn't explicitly require them operating outside the production of the show, so they aren't. It also means the person we met in the curse's very first episode, the very first shot, Fernando, no longer has the job, they guaranteed. Whitney calls Fernando up and offers to pay them as a plaza security guard. Um, there are others without jobs, though, and while Whitney wonders if they should do a co-fund me to help cover the cost, Asher brushes the idea away, deeming it not urgent. I think the whole Fernando subplot is, and and probably what's going to happen with the kids in the house is just a sign that often, well-meaning liberal progressives can actually do a lot of damage mm-hmm. uh, in the process of trying to do something good. Uh, what does it mean we, to help, right? I think yeah, that is like yeah. a central question uh, of the show, and like what it
0: means to help is not actually help. It's not. It's not systemic uh, aid to people, right?
1: I think. I think they, you know, Whitney and Asher conceive of help as these big showy flashes, like flashy showings of assistance of we got you a job and we got you a this and we got you that, and it's not actually what's most helpful. What's most helpful is showing up day after day week after week for years over a long period of time uh and not just like hey we got you a job for three weeks that you weren't particularly well suited for you know um which can actually be bad because there's opportunity costs that the person's not looking for other jobs it creates more disruption in their life um so and by the way i'm just want to put this out there like i don't think that the disruption is over yet like I think hmm. something terrible is going to happen. Like Fernando is going to have to kill someone. Oh, to... he's
0: got that gun. And he mentions yeah. over the phone, um, because they didn't seem, Whitney didn't seem to care when he was the security yeah, guard. Yeah. They just wanted to funnel money to him. And he's like, well, well, I'll do it at night. That's when the, he says like the freaks are weirdos. Yeah. come out, And yeah. I, I presumably he's going to meet one of them. Uh, and that is going to go awry. That's, I think that's a very, yeah very obvious uh outcome for for the arc of that right that character. and then
1: and then like it, it will end up e- complicating the whole situation even further and right right yeah. and even so, asher
0: you know to your point about like sort of the milk toast ideas from like quote-unquote progressives in terms of offering solutions like asher offers the for you know this family to stay in the home and then yeah. whitney gets it in her head well then we should try and fix up the home a little yeah. bit um yeah. and like let's put in like you know, five to $10,000 or something like that. Clearly like they have enough money that like they can just do things like that. And he, over the course of like a couple of minutes whittles down how much they should spend from like five grand to three grand to two grand to like, well, I mean, $500 would go a long way. You know what I mean? And to, and to counter that against, he had a budget of 40 grand buys a distressed house for 60,000 plus. Um, while also brushing off the GoFundMe as not being quote, urgent um, is and the and obviously that's because Fernando's in the show right they may have guaranteed other jobs but like he is a primary character in this pilot so of course they got to take care of him but these other people
1: well, mm-hmm. I don't know about
0: these other people hopefully yeah. the system will all lift them up when the neighborhood gets better because we get famous and so you see a lot of evidence of Asher pulling similar sorts of stunts um, and I think it makes a lot of sense why they were successful in being exploitative at a casino <laughs>
1: yeah indeed indeed so anyway the couple arrives at the new house they bought they meet the family they do not seem all that excited to greet them and the father constantly worries about uh that they're just going to take the house whitney tries to bond with the two girls and apologizes for asher's behavior in the parking lot and the girls reveal his actions are why they tiny cursed him which is riffing (laughs) on a tiktok trend where people curse others and hope that banal annoying things happen to them like your shoes getting untied in this case asher was tiny cursed with having his chicken taken away. When Asher inquires further, the girl reveals she specifically took the chicken away from spaghetti, which is remarkably close to the actual food Asher ordered that did not come with any chicken, specifically it was chicken penne. Yeah. The revelation unnerves Asher, <laughs> who wonders if the girls have been stalking them. All right, let's 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 pause here for a moment. Uh, I want to say, by the way, I believe it is... Uh, is it Barkhad Abdi who is in this show? Um... Yes. Yeah, he definitely struck me as familiar. Um, I couldn't pin... Couldn't bar, bar, bar- Barkhad Opti is the uh, Somali-American actor who plays the father character of the girls in the house. Mm-hmm. But he is best known for his breakout performance as uh, Abduwali Muse in the 2013 film Captain Phillips. Okay, he's, all right. Uh, he's that's... also been immortalized in the online meme, mm-hmm. uh, look at me, I am the captain now, which mm-hmm. is like... You know, there's a reason that has has had staying power over all these years, is because it's one of the best lines and line deliveries in a, so in a modern it's, movie. It, it is you a know?
0: top ten meme, like it is in the pantheon. Yeah, it's so of like good, great of great. Like it has survived, like long out survived. It's. Like pop culture moments, and like exactly. that's when you know it's a good. So meme. so
1: many people use that meme who have never seen Captain Phillips. Hundred percent. Right? I know this because I'm. I like Captain Phillips, but very few people I know have actually watched that movie. I have. I um, I, I, I liked yeah. it as well, but it, it was not good enough.
0: But I mean, such is the nature of a meme. It's outside of its context. It's like the yeah. movie was good, not good enough to justify a meme like existing for the better part of a decade. But that like that performance yeah. absolutely is within the
1: film. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Great stuff here. One thing I really appreciated about this was uh, afterwards, you see uh, Asher looking at TikTok, uh, the tiny curse uh, trend on TikTok. And I don't know if you've ever been around a, a person who is looking through a trend on TikTok, but it sounds literally exactly the same as what uh, he was doing with his phone in this scene, where he he basically has the TikTok up, and then he's swiping through, and you hear the same sound, and then you hear like the first three seconds the same sound again, and the first three, and so on and so forth. It's like, oh wow, they really captured what it's like to like be obsessed with the trend on TikTok. Which mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it. Um, any other thoughts before we get to the final scene, Patrick? No, uh,
0: no but I, I they really play between the the filmmaking and uh, the performances the dancing this fine. Like when it's revealed that she says spaghetti and like the horror that comes over Nathan Fielder's face and the way the music kicks in and the slow zoom, like it's all these elements of the show coming together. It's still while I maintain, like, I don't know, man, maybe she's got powers. Like maybe he has been like the, like, it's just, it's such a great moment. And, and that contrasted with Whitney's like just performative empathy fakeness like like just so many good things happening the the way that she uh goes up back i'm looking at these broken windows and like of course you can stay here for free and then you know the father says can you get that in writing so well i don't do the contracts
1: and it's like Mm -hmm. you know i mean like just so many well she's not even she doesn't even like understand why he might why right. that might be important to him. I Good think for him my, for was asking reason. though. Right. It's like this,
0: this guy is no dummy. Like, yeah, yeah, get that, get that in writing if you can from Asher.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't foresee it going well. As no. everything, Is there anything that we think is going well in the show at all? You know, like, I don't no, know. Like, I do. I wondered, you know, there was a
0: moment where, uh, they were concerned about like a, like a, I think like a water leakage or some water mm-hmm, damage yeah. on the, on the ceiling. And they Whitney's concerned about it. And Asher says, Oh, it's not as bad as I, I feared. Maybe that I'm just like, in the way I was in the, in the over like I'm looking for landmines. I'm like, is that one of them? Like, mm-hmm. is that like water damage? Is going like, to go a off later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that
1: going to be a problem? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the concluding real, you know, the, the climax of the episode is, uh, Whitney helps Asher to help her remove a sweater whose zipper has gotten stuck. They end up stretching and pulling the sweater to the point that Asher falls over. The two begin laughing hysterically, prompting Whitney to believe that this side of Asher is the one people need to see more of. So they try and fail to recreate the scene for Whitney's Instagram. Meanwhile, Asher cannot shake, wondering how the chicken, uh, how the children knew about the chicken missing from the food order. The obsession pisses off Whitney, who accuses Asher of being judgmental. Asher recoils and wishes Whitney would validate his feelings while he's talking. The two go back and forth over who's being more racist, and this prompts an enormous fight. Uh, During the fight, Asher reveals that he said the sentence that Lisa told us to, suggesting the two have been to couples therapy. The fight ends with Whitney realizing the whole argument was caught on camera. She ends the escalation by saying both of our feelings are valid and rewatches the fight while she's in bed. I also think she deleted the file is what I could sense. She did. She, I was, I was on yeah. like
0: pins and needles on yeah. whether because the show has like, you know, Dougie has been like, Hey, like the tension between like, we gotta, we gotta get something here. Like mm-hmm. what are, what is the hook on the show? It's not the houses. It's not the people you're helping. It's not the neighborhood. It's like, do you guys hate each other? Where's like the sexual tension as was pointed out in the, the focus group. And I was like, I think it's a coin flip on whether she like posts that as a, instagram story or something like that as a as a way of juicing uh, yeah. interest in in the two of them um and obviously she hits delete but
1: but it just when you delete something it. she thinks when, about it when you delete something it goes into your recently deleted folder uh-huh. where it stays for 30 days and by the way this is a show that i think actually is sophisticated enough that it, it would know that you can recover those files
0: Well, and it's also so, it's 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 choosing i don't know how Maybe you, you get, uh, like, legal leeway because, like, they're popular, like, pop culture. But, like, they're using TikTok and Instagram, right? Like, yeah. it's it's not – lots of shows, movies will use fake services so they can get, right. like, uh, UI that will remind you of services that you yeah. use in your life. But they're not actually going to, like, properly emulate or get the rights or however that ends up uh, working out. Maybe it's, like, a form of satire where they're they're able to use it. But whatever the case – they're clearly deeply aware, as you pointed out with like the aesthetics of scrolling through a trend, like they understand how these platforms work. And so even if they don't actually end up having her unearth that yeah. file, I do think it's a testament to the show's like credibility on like the devices, the platforms, the social networks that they're including and referencing that all of that is on the table because they understand how all these devices and platforms work. And thus could be potential avenues for the plot and the story in a way that I would not necessarily feel in a show that like, like you know, came up with a fake Instagram just because they wanted to to like show a, a photo based uh, social network. So I think it's an interesting part of the show that you're that you're pressing on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a sad cringe part of the episode. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. huge bummer and. Uh, you really feel Asher's pain when he says, I said the sentence that Lisa Ooh, told us to
0: that one. My heart actually sunk. This is not like in a show where that happens all that often. You're not necessarily rooting against these characters. They don't seem like villains necessarily. Uh, even if they're deeply, deeply flawed, but that moment, ugh, like it suddenly was a window into their relationship that really deepened Asher as a character and the kind of like day to day pain that we don't quite understand yet. But as you said, like has been a common theme of the show. We don't know the sadness that people carry inside them.
1: Yeah. It's just such a great line. I I said the sentence that Lisa told, there's so much in that line. A, they've been seeing couples counseling. B, like he's making a good faith effort uh, to try to use his training. C, like Emma Stone's character, Whitney has, in some ways violated or not operated in good faith or maybe she's just too emotional in the moment to do so um but yeah d these are just people who are like talking past each other they're they're not meeting each other at all in the middle and what they each need in the moment and that's just really sad to see uh at any time i also thought the the part about them trying to recreate how like the spontaneity of the first moment was just so painful like and it's not like i haven't done anything like that before you know like uh where i've done um i've made a instagram reel or a tiktok and then oh like that i i want to fix this and i've redone it and like had the same emotional reaction mm-hmm. you know yeah um but i also have a like a self-awareness of what i'm doing and i think that like you know the, the, them trying to make something lighthearted and fun and authentic it's it's really difficult to try to manufacture authenticity which is what they're trying to do here and and it's very difficult for somebody trying to manufacture authenticity for that performance to feel authentic which it does you know like per the point i made earlier on in the, in the podcast so uh yeah really really painful really painful sequence overall. You know, I was thinking, Oh, Hey, so before getting to this point, I was thinking, Oh, this is, this hasn't been that bad. This hasn't been excruciating as previous episodes. (laughs) And then we get to this scene and it's, it's, it's really, really awful all around. I will also say it does capture, you know, like in a, in a relationship that's very challenging. uh, Often things can go from really lighthearted to extremely toxic, really fast. Uh, And I think that this captures that kind of, sense as well. So yeah, just a lot to feel sad about here, Patrick. Any other thoughts before we wrap up here today? Yeah. I think
0: you, you know, hit the nail on the head there where in many ways, I think what this scene reveals is the like lack of authenticity in their own relationship. Like I think one fundamental question that is not answered so far is why are you guys together? Like what's the attraction interest overlap? Like, what made any of this happen in the first place? Like I don't, Mm -hmm. you don't get a, yes, the focus group is cruel and uh, it's like judging a a person on a personal level through a performance and reality show. But at the end of the day, like there's a through line, right? Like there's a lack of authenticity from these characters. And I think that extends to their relationship as well. um, That I suspect is going to be something that the show continues to interrogate uh, further. And I'm, I'm, deeply interested to find out like clearly they maybe not clearly but the relationship meant enough to both sides one side to go to therapy like to try and Mm -hmm. rescue it to try and repair it to try and find tools to talk to each other instead of past each other um but they also only been married a year right so like how long has this relationship been going on? Is this sort of like people who have been dating for a very long time, thus had to get couples therapy? And then I don't know, it just invites a lot of questions about a show that if I had to pick one word, like what is this show about? And like authenticity would be one of those words that I would use to describe mm-hmm. like a broad thematic uh, uh, underpinning of, of the curse as a whole. And I think now we're realizing how deeply that extends to even just Asher and Whitney's interactions when no one is watching. Um, uh, even even as Whitney is someone who is always thinking about, but what if someone was? Uh, and, I, and that introduces all sorts of interesting complications that I'm sad, cringely interested to see <laughs> play out in the episodes <laughs> I had.
1: Yeah, I, I have a couple more thoughts, but why don't we uh, let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week, Patrick kleppick they uh, can follow me and all the
0: stuff I, I do about video games, uh, over at, uh, remap and the associated podcast remap radio and, uh, my regular gaming and parenting newsletter
1: crossplay is over at crossplay.news podcast.decodingtv.com is where you can find my, uh, this, this podcast and episodes of it, and also become a paid member at decodingtv.com, uh, I pay everyone who contributes to Decoding TV, whether they're making videos, whether they're co-hosting podcasts with me, and it's because of people's contributions at DecodingTV.com that that's possible. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider becoming a paid member at DecodingTV.com. All right. Uh, Closing thoughts here. I do want to say like, oh, I I think, you know, my speculation in the first episode is Asher is one of the only people that will go along with Whitney's stuff. Mm. (laughs) Like, and maybe he, he's one of the only people that's going to enable what Whitney is trying to do. Yeah. He's a useful um, tool. I think yeah, that's, I think yeah. that is I probably think that's, right. But I think you're right that the show has not explicitly explained like the whole history of that relationship yet. So like probably some shoes left to drop, but that's, that's my assumption is that he's the only guy that would put up with her stuff and, or would, you know, support her in this quixotic vision that she has. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why they're together. Um, and that's not a great foundation for a relationship uh, because she clearly doesn't respect him in many ways. So, okay. Uh, the episode ends with Fernando showing up his nighttime security gig with a chair and a gun. The final shot has him shuffling around the parking lot before looking at the camera. Kind of a weird moment because people don't yeah. look at the camera in the show very much. Well, the first
0: episode ends with Asher, yeah, looking at the camera. So, yeah, I don't but know that I-
1: was like it was like a camera. Was it a camera in the universe of the show that he was looking at, though, in that scene? I don't. Th- maybe, maybe
0: I can't. Yeah. I can't remember explicitly. But it's at least that one was a. Um, he was staring forward, like it was a much more like like I'm looking at you, the like the viewer sort of thing. Where this one mm. is just
1: like out of nowhere, like what? And then the yeah, the show just weird. cuts. Or it doesn't cut. It like freeze frames. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, correct. Weird. Weird moment. You know. Very goofy, but we'll see. Maybe it's an homage to something that we're not aware of. And if you happen to know, uh, let us know at DecodingTV at gmail.com Patrick Klepik, any other thoughts on this episode? I think I think Fernando needs to get the fuck out of that parking lot. That's what I Absolutely. think. <laughs> Do not associate with these people. Do no. not associate with these people.
0: I think the the you know the curse is actually the curse is actually Whitney and Asher, David. Um, uh, that's what I think. Uh, no, that
1: they're the real curse. Um, I did enjoy uh Whitney going full Karen mode uh early on when she finds out the coffee shop has been shut down like we've rarely seen her that animated and enraged
0: you didn't think that Uh, was a reason to to call me um but like (laughs) it but I will say the fully enjoyable I agree with you 100% but then that that conversation which was itself cringy like well the spirit of the agreement and like Oh, that phrasing like unnerves me to like mm. to, to no end of, mm. of of like. Well, the well, contract why, Patrick, doesn't do you say. Have, do
1: you have experience with organizations making promises that they don't keep?
0: I I might have. Yes, you know, the day <laughs> before recording this, like filled out a. <laughs> a, proof, a proof of claim form so that I can claw back the rest of the severance a company may or may not have owed me. So, yeah, the spirit of the agreement was that you give me my severance. <laughs> what if the we letter, didn't?
1: But the letter of the agreement, it, it doesn't say anything about that. So, Bankruptcy anyway. courts? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, the show continues to be great. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're enjoying our coverage of it right here on Decoding TV. We'll continue it throughout the rest of the season. Thank you so much for listening. He is Patrick Klepik. I am David Chen. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Curse.
0: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials?